Hello and welcome to Middle Church. I am Reverend Natalie here to wish you a happy Pride, a happy Juneteenth Sunday, a happy Father's Day to all of you who father in all the different ways in which you father. It is a full Sunday indeed. Um, so let's get right into worship. But before we do, we'd like to take a deep centering breath together as a community. Come, let us worship God.
guys. This is the message for all ages. Now, when we were in the sanctuary, we would always say this message is for the young and for the young at heart. And so I'm not young anymore, but I'm definitely still young at heart. And if you are young at heart, I invite you to listen in too. Um, I'm in North Carolina right now at my mama's house and it's a beautiful, sunny, hot day. Uh, two days ago though, we had these like really, really wild thunderstorms and they were kind of scary. And I don't know if you've ever been at home in your house or apartment and there's been a big storm and you can see the lightning and the thunder's really, really loud and it's scary. And maybe the lights even flash off and on. And it's really scary. And then the next day, it's so beautiful and sunny and perfect outside. And it feels like, oh, that bad stuff happened, but now I'm okay. I think that that's what God does for us. Even if we are having a really scary or bad day, and then someone, maybe our mom or our dad or our brother or our sister or our friend says something nice to us and we feel better. And you, my friends, have that same power. If your mom is sad or your dad is sad or your brother or your sister or your friend or maybe someone you don't even know very well, maybe it's somebody who's sitting alone and you go over to them and you say something nice or you sit with them and they're having a really stormy day and you make their day sunny. You're doing what God does for us and what God wants us to do for other people. So can you do that this week? Can you notice when someone's not feeling well feeling stormy. Can you be sunshine this week? I'm going to try. So I want you to try to let us pray. God, help us to be shelter in the storm for people who aren't feeling well. Help us to notice and help us to be the ones that say hi or bring encouragement or just be with other people. Help us to be like you. In your many names we pray, amen. Now let's um, see a hamba our way out of here. Bye. See a we are marching in the light of God. We are marching in the light of God. We are marching, marching, we are marching, marching, we are marching in the light of Marching, we are marching, marching, we are marching in the
marching in the light of God. We are marching in the light of Hey church family, I'm Reverend Daryl Hamilton. I'm an executive minister here at Middle, and I wanna welcome you into church with us on this very special Juneteenth Sunday, Father's Day Sunday, and Pride Month Sunday. So much is happening on this Sunday. And like the seasoned saints used to sing back in the day, today we are here because our minds and our hearts are set on freedom. And so I want to share with you a couple of ways in which we are living into that freedom in the life of our community. First and foremost, naming that this afternoon, right after worship, you are invited to join us for a teaching featuring our very own Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis and the Pulitzer Prize winning author, Annette Gordon Reed. That is going to be right after worship today. There is no chat and chew. And we are asking that instead you would purchase a ticket because it is not too late to be a part of our Juneteenth Now Get Us Free workshop and teach in. Second, as we are also living into freedom, we are all we are going to continue to stay in solidarity with our LGBTQIA2S plus family. And we are doing that in two ways. One, you can join us by popping up at our booth at Pride Fest, which will be located at Astor Square. Or you can make plans to march with us in Queer Liberation March next Sunday, June 27th. And speaking of next Sunday, be sure to put on your calendars that we are going to have a very important congregational meeting at 1030 in the morning that day. So you do not want to miss that. 10.30 in the morning, where we are going to talk about very important things re relevant and related to our regathering and our fall plans. And finally, we are rejoicing as a community in the lowering numbers of, of, of people with COVID-19 in the state of New York. But we want to also understand and hold that we are still in the middle of a pandemic. So to that end, the staff at Middle Church has put in a lot of effort to make sure that we have policies and practices in place that are going to not only help us to love one another well, but to also keep each other safe and contribute to the lowering numbers of COVID. So go to our church website, middlechurch.org, and see how we as a church are moving in this moment. And I want you to celebrate with us because as a part of the White House Month of Action, we, Middle Church, are going to be hosting a pop-up vaccination site on Saturday, June 26th at our church. So come by and get vaccinated if you have not done so already, or at the very least, help spread the word about this opportunity to spread love and to spread wellness and freedom. And so with that, I ask you to take a couple of moments to center yourself to still your spirit, to take with me a deep breath. And let's go before our Lord in prayer. 
And so to our God, we give you thanks on this wonderful, wonderful Sunday morning that we have once again been able to come and gather in your place of worship, gathering virtually, gathering all over the world, gathering in your ecclesia as the assembly of your people, gathered together in your name, knowing that you are here in the midst with us all the same. God, we are dreaming about freedom. God, we are demanding about freedom. And we know that we are living in this hot mess time between what currently is and what is promised to come. And so God, be with us in this hot mess time that we can continue to go out each day and give life and give love and give light to people in our midst, reminding us, God, to do your will and your work, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with you, but mostly that we love. And we start by our love for you, which trickles down into our love for ourselves and one another. And so be with us in this hour of worship. Be with us on this all important day where we declare freedom, freedom for your people, freedom for your world. And so in the words that resonate most with the people in our community right now, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Our creator who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your reign come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours, God, is the kingdom. For yours, God, is the power. And for yours, God, is the glory forever and ever. And let the church say together, Amen. Amen. Good Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Good Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hi, Middle Church. We're the Young Thanks, and we've been members since uh, 1993. We had our first date there. We were married there. We were married there. The boys were baptized there. That's right. And we miss you and look forward to seeing you. And from our family to you, peace, peace be with you. With you.
Wow. I love to watch Luton and Adrian dance. Thank you all so much for that beautiful piece. Hey, everybody. Jackie Lewis, Senior Minister of Middle Collegiate Church. If you're new, my pronouns are she, her. Happy Pride to all of you. And happy Juneteenth. Um, blessed Juneteenth. Prophetic Juneteenth. I don't know exactly what the right greeting is right there, but um, it is Juneteenth Sunday. We are um, in the middle of a weekend of celebrating Black joy, resilience, and resistance. And I invite you to say a word of prayer with me. Thanks. Pray. Eternal God, your word is a light into our path and a, and a guide to our life of freedom and liberation. We ask as, as we seek to hear a word from you, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're going to have two prayers today. Uh, the second one is a musical one. Listen now for this word in scripture. This is from Mark's gospel, the fourth chapter, verses 35 to 38. And I'm reading the message version. The wind ran out of breath is what the caption says. Late that day, they said to Jesus, let's go across to the other side. And they took him in the boat as he was. Other boats came along and a huge storm came up. Waves poured out into the boat, threatening to sink it. And Jesus was in the stern, head on a pillow, sleeping. They roused him saying, teacher, is it nothing to you that we're going to drown? Awake now, he told the wind to pipe down and said to the sea, quiet, settle down. The wind ran out of breath. The sea became smooth as glass. Jesus reprimanded the disciples. Why are you such cowards? Don't you have any faith at all? They were in absolute awe and staggered and said, who is this anyway? Wind and sea at his beck and call. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us continue to pray with this beautiful piece of music sung by Sydney Outlaw. Oh! 
a murderous, cowardly pack Pressed to the wall, dying But fighting back If we must Thank you so much, Sydney, for that powerful climacade poem set to music. If we must die, let us not die like critters, like creatures, like animals being slaughtered. Let us die the noble death of men and women fighting for our lives, fighting for freedom, fighting for liberation, fighting against slavery and white supremacy. I am not ready to die to end white supremacy in America, my friends, but I am feeling so much on this Juneteenth Sunday that the fight for our liberation and freedom, child, we got so much work to do. I hope you'll come back uh, at one o'clock and, and listen to the conversation I'm gonna have with Professor Annette Gordon-Reed, who wrote the book on Juneteenth. Let's talk about what that day really meant. Let's talk about what this day really means. And let's talk about what it means, as per my sermon today, for us to be a shelter in a time of storm. Now, let's just go to Mark's gospel for a second and think about this story. Mark has been, as you've heard me say these last weeks, setting up Jesus as the antidote to evil, setting up Jesus as the power against the powers, setting up Jesus as stronger, more capable, more amazing, more badass in terms of dealing with empire. Jesus is reign of God incarnate. Jesus is God's will on earth, made flesh, Afro-Semitic, poor, homeless, at once a refugee, on the margins, using love as power, to heal the world. So he's cast out demons in the temple. He's dealt with the religious authorities and kind of called their, them on their stuff. And now in this miracle story, and maybe even a theophany, a story in which God is revealed, here is Jesus napping on his boat with his disciples and a storm comes up. And the way Mark tells the story, there's the sense that the disciples don't think Jesus is engaged, that he doesn't care. Jesus wakes up and tells the storm, we all know these words, peace be still, peace be still, peace be still, stop it. I like the way the message version by Eugene Peters, though, says that the wind, the wind lost its breath, the wind lost its power, or since the word breath is spirit, wind, uh, in the same uh, language, Greek and Hebrew, maybe the, maybe the wind lost its spirit. Jesus talks to the storm like he's casting out a demonic spirit, is what I'm trying to say. And in fact, in ancient Greek and um, 
Hebrew mythology, a sea monster meant evil, chaos, brokenness. And so also this storm means evil, chaos, brokenness, empire. And, and in this case, when Jesus, the light worker, when Jesus, the powerful one who inaugurates God's reign on earth, tells the storm to shut up and be quiet, he is castrating it. He is disempowering it. He is, he is disabling it. He is shutting it down, locking it up, and proving that he is the one we've been waiting for, they had been waiting for, the Messiah, the one of God to heal the world. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes it can feel to me like the other powers are winning, especially when we're in times of crisis. It can feel that though God is God yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that somehow God's chilling, sitting down, not getting in it. Does that just me? It can feel like the powers are in charge when the violence is raging. It can feel like the powers, the evil powers, the broken empire powers are in charge and like the knee of white supremacy is on our necks. For black people in this nation, for this black woman in this nation, it can feel like lightning is striking to torch hope. It can feel like tornado-like winds are blowing through our lives with anti-Black racism and violence. Being Black in America is, feels like a pre-existing condition for poverty, for discrimination and death. Black Americans have still continued to die of COVID-19 at three times the rate of white Americans. While Black Americans make up only 13% of the US population, we account for 26% of deaths where race is a known factor. The incarceration rate for black people is five times the rate of whites and both unemployment and poverty rates are twice as high for whites as whites, excuse me, ours, twice as much. Black wealth is only one-tenth of white wealth. One-tenth of white wealth. Wealth meaning what you own versus debt. Death rates for blacks is higher for for, for heart rate, heart disease, stroke, cancer, asthma, influenza, pneumonia, diabetes, AIDS, and homicide, higher than for whites. Black Americans are two and a half times as likely as whites to be killed by police officers. I'm stumbling on those stats because it kind of blows my mind and it's hard to say and it's hard to believe and it's hard to think that still today, black lives don't matter. In 1903, W.E.B. Du Bois wrote, the problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line. Well, is 2021 and white supremacy still has its knees on our neck. It still beats the life out of black lives, beats the joy out of black folks. Our children don't have good school districts as whites. Their children don't have as many good books as whites. Our housing patterns are still impoverished because of redlining and discrimination. We, excuse my colloquial, ain't free. I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited that Juneteenth is now a federal holiday. We were giving it to our staff anyway, but I'm trying to figure out how we move from symbolic gestures 
to policies and practices that actually liberate Black people. I'm trying to figure out how we, the church, we, the church, become a shelter in the storm. I'm trying to figure out how we, the church, help heal the festering, foul-smelling sore that is a wound on the soul of America that is intractable and permanent in which white people, too many, so many white people feel automatically enfranchised and disenfranchised black people almost as an automatic response to our black existence. When you see someone kneel on a black man on the sidewalk and look casually in a camera while killing him, that's so egregious that, well, we're just so, we're clear how evil and vile that is. But friends, it's the everyday automatic response of too many white leaders, white people, white parents, white teachers, white pastors to blackness. It's like a, a flinch. It's softer than clutching the person crossing the street. It's more subtle than moving back on an elevator. It's the kind of microaggression that's like the way a white person can talk to me as a black person about blackness, even, about Juneteenth, about American politics, in such a way that their white experience of the black experience feels normative or authorized. It's the kind of microaggression where the way white people treat black men neuters them flattens them. If the black men in our lives and our multiracial lives actually really took a breath and breathed out their full black maleness, unabashed black maleness, we wouldn't know what to do. It's black fear, it's black sexuality, it's black violence, it's black anger. All of that shuts down the black men in our lives tames them. And black women, if we were ever, when we are, when we are fully our black, female, powerful, strong selves in white company, we're sassy, we're sexy, we're angry, we're a caricature of our true selves. This even in the most progressive, multiracial, multi-ethnic communities, this even in spaces where we expect justice to reign. There can be jealousy, covetousness, and envy about our black, beautiful, strong, and powerful selves. And that makes it unsafe. The the caricature makes us unsafe. The, the flattening makes us unsafe. The stereotyping makes us unsafe. 
we are not fully human in the gaze of white folks still, and that makes us unsafe. That makes it dangerous to be black in America because you are not a whole person. You are a thin line of something that therefore is not fully human and can therefore be destroyed. It's Father's Day. I'm thinking about the very first time I was called the N-word. And even when we say N-word, just like, remember when Trump was on television and we were saying he said the P-word? And then we were like, oh, it's not that bad. It was just the P word. Well, the N word, nigger, called a nigger in kindergarten. When I was called the N word, my mom responded to that by teaching me how to be a prayer warrior. And I'm convinced that I'm in ministry today because of the words she said then, racism is silly, Jackie. It's silly that they won't like you because you're black. And took me on my knees to pray, to pray. And I'm like, God, let it be that no matter what color someone is that they'll fully be loved. That was the beginning of a spirituality that was anti-racist at the, at the giftedness of my mother. My dad, dad went to the base commander and demanded an apology, demanded reparations, demanded an apology from little Miss Lisa who called me the N word and her dad. That was the beginning of my activism. Thank you, daddy. The beginning of my activism that when something happens, when you see something, you say something. When you see something, you do something. That's why I'm in ministry. Those two parents are why I'm here. Why I'm here sweating, marching, protesting, writing in the public square against racism. That's why I'm here in this multi-ethnic church, not the Black church, where this work is happening all the time, but I'm in the multi-ethnic church, the multicultural church, because I believe the only way to disrupt racism is to do it in, in these places as well, that we need to rehearse here in our multi-ethnic community. What is life after storm? What is life on the other side of storm? What it means together to be a shelter in the time of storm? And in this context, I've worked with our boards and our staff for 17 years to move Middle Church from a kind of white and black church with a few Latinx people and a couple Asians, Gloria Moy being one, to an anti-racist institute designed to heal the world. The way we hire staff, who we put on the board, the way we make our budget a moral document, the way we stand in for our friends and family to protect them from COVID, including the pop-up inoculation site that's happening next Saturday, the way we understand in this middle church community that our justice work has to be intersectional, that we have to be as queer as we wanna be, that we have to be as black as we wanna be, that we have to be as standing up for Latinx folks and what happens on the border, that we have to be standing up for, other, for Mother Earth and for indigenous lives, all of these things. No oppression Olympics, but an intersectional movement for love and justice, which has not on the margins of it, at the center of it, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Because we're clear, that as long as America is a nation in which my black body is not safe, you're not safe. 
that as long as we live in a, in a context in which white women treat me like a child, your children are not safe. As long as America lives in a context in which critical race theory is gonna be put out of school districts because fragile white children can't learn how to be good citizens who love all the people, nobody is safe. And Middle Church family on this Juneteenth weekend, when we have put hours and hours into this Juneteenth programming to celebrate, to commemorate Black resilience, Black joy, Black resistance. In this community, where we fully put $100,000 on the line for Black Lives Matter programming, I'm telling you today that the work we're called to do is prophetic, mission critical, and that work is about truth, reconciliation, and reparations. We at Middle Church do our programming, our anti-racism training, our Freedom Lab work is about telling the truth. It's about teaching the truth to each other. It's about knowing the truth because the truth is gonna set us free. That's why we created a whole year program of a racial healing task force. Reading Jimmy Baldwin, <clears throat> Breaking Bread Together, learning about white fragility and learning about black power. We did that so we could speak the truth, so we know the truth, so we can live the truth. The truth will set us free. This ministry is about reconciliation. That's why we set a table for queer folks that are multi-ethnic and multiracial. That's why we have a staff that is multi-ethnic. That is why we are in conversations that cross borders and boundaries, because how we get to reconciliation is in relationship with one another. And this last piece, this piece about reparations, when we dream about the new building, when we dream about our new physical site that will be physical and digital, we're also dreaming about a reparation center, one that will be intersectional and help us never forget what the Dutch, our ecclesiastical ancestors did to the indigenous in this place, how we sit on Lenape land because we stole Lenape land, but also a reparations conversation about black folks, how we never got the 40 acres and a mule, how black wealth, black poverty, black housing, black wellness have to be in the center of our work if we're going to actually be faithful to the ministry of Jesus the Christ. I'm talking about reparations that starts with our programming, programming directed toward black children, toward black seniors, toward black and adults to put back in their bodies and in their lives things that have been stolen. The storm that needs to be having the wind taken out of it is anti-Black racism in this nation. It will be the beginning of the healing of the wound, the funky, long-lasting wound that hurts Black people and therefore hurts all of us. When I was writing my dissertation and studying leaders who lead multiracial churches, one leader, um, Randolph Charles, white, rich, southerner, grew up with a black nanny. Charles told me that 
that one time there was such a raging storm, such a scary storm in this big mansion, windows clanging, clapboards clanging. He was terrified and hid under the stairs. And it was his black nanny who came and held him and comforted him until he was safe. He says, when I think about where I learned how to love, I learned it from her, from my nanny, named Maddie. Not so much my mom and dad, but my nanny. I took in, I internalized, I interjected her love, her fierce love that taught me how to be a shelter in a time of storm. His church, multi-ethnic, multi-racial church in Washington, D.C., grew 10 times under his leadership, black, white, Jewish, multi-ethnic community led by a white leader who interjected a black woman's determination to be free. Am I making sense? This black leader is calling you into a multi-ethnic, multi-racial movement for love and justice with the center of it, anti-black racism being eradicated once and for all. That's what we're going to do together this year and in the years to come. And for that, I need your partnership. Your prayers, yes. Your attendance, yes. But honey, I also need your money. We're going to start a campaign in which we deal with building our new site that will be physical and digital, in which we will house our Freedom School for Children to teach them how to be anti-racist, just like the Freedom Schools in the South, but also our Freedom Laboratory across generations, raising a cadre of adults who understand how to be anti-racist in their bodies and in their lives. I'm asking you to come along with me, not only to hear the tough sermons, not only to have the hard talks, not only to learn and be trained, not only to do activism, but to actually partner in this movement with your livelihood, to invest in this movement with your funds, to make donations so we can rise up and do this work. We're not used to talking about money at Middle Church. Y'all are like, why do we charge in tickets for Juneteenth? I heard you, I heard you. But it's a new day and the mission is critical and urgent. The Collegiate Church is no longer going to fund any of our ministries at the level they used to. Our budget this year will go down from $1.1 million to $700,000. $1.1 million from the Collegiate Church to $700,000 for our operating budget. That is a $400,000 cut. I'm inviting you to think about how you can help stand in the gap. If you believe in freedom, stand in the gap. If you believe in anti-racism, stand in the gap. If you love the work we're doing here at Middle Church, all of you across the nation and across the globe watching this, participating in this, stand in the gap. Help me take the wind out of the storm. Help Middle Church take the wind out of the storm. Help Jesus the Christ take the wind out of the storm by joining us in this movement. If you haven't yet joined the church, please do. Middlechurch.org slash join. And if you haven't yet made Middle Church a part of your budget, come on, my people. Is there anything more important than healing racism? Once and for all. Come and join me. Stop the storm. Amen.
Middle family, miss seeing all of your beautiful faces. I'm Yusuf George, Vice Chair of The Middle Project. Uh, this is Kamani. And we're here today to speak with you about joining this... Exactly. <laughs> about joining this incredible movement. Uh, I joined the Middle community a little over 10 years ago. And when I first entered Middle, I was struck by this multicultural, multi-ethnic, come as you are, open arms, love, love, love community that existed right here in this city. Uh, I wasn't used to that. I didn't know that it existed here. But in my first few months of Middle, I remember sitting in the back of the church, getting the lay of the land and always leaving really fired up because of the music, the ministry, the dancing. It just warned me. Uh, I always felt at home. Um, I'd recently just moved from Bed-Stuy and it was something that I was missing. I just couldn't stop showing up and it wasn't long before I was called to do more. Um, Jackie and John asked me to be a part of the Young Adult Leadership Lab and I quickly said yes without even fully knowing what I was in for, but I'm so glad that I did it. It was there that I understood my path in this social justice movement. I met other bold, passionate young leaders uh, who were all fiercely committed to social justice and, and really creating a more just world. And in the Young Adult Leadership Lab, we were giving tools and training, which equipped us to be both social justice warriors in our workplaces and communities, but also stay so deeply rooted in faith. Um, soon thereafter, I joined the, the board of the Middle Project, which I served on for now six years. Um, and, and for all of you who aren't familiar with the Middle Project, it's a nonprofit that's dedicated to preparing ethical leaders for a more just society. Uh, we do this by hosting programming, including the Young Adult Leadership Labs, by supporting the Rev Love Conference, by um, being a fiscal sponsor to courageous social justice entrepreneurs, working on voter reform, partnering with Middle Project on anti-racist training, and just so much more. There's so much that exists in this landscape of Middle, and it all happens because of the generous support of members like you. Middle, I'm calling on you to continue to support all of the phenomenal endeavors that happen in this community by providing your gifts, be it using your time, if you have it, uh, by providing a donation, by bringing your talents in. It's just so important to continue to support. And here's how you can give. Thank you. Glory. 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 One day when the glory comes, it will be ours, it will be ours one day. When the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure. Resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus. 
Ferguson with our hands up. When it go down, we woman and man up. They say stay down and we stand up. Shots, we on the ground. The camera panned up. King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up. Oh, one day when the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be ours. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be sure. Be sure. Now come on and say glory. Dwell below the sky, let faith and hope with love arrive. Let peace, goodwill on earth be sung through every land by every tongue. Bless these gifts, O God, to be used for thy will and thy purpose through your many holy and matchless names. Amen. Jesus is the rock, Jesus is the rock, Jesus is the rock. Jesus is a rock, Jesus is a rock in a weary night, a weary night, a weary night. Jesus is a rock in a weary night, 
a shelter in a time of storm. Oh, oh, oh. Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in a time of storm. When the ship is tossing on a blustery sea, a weary land, a weary land. A shelter in a time of storm. A weary land, a weary land. Jesus turned from midnight into day. A shelter in a time of storm. Oh, oh Lord, you are my rock. Thank you so much, Nedra Dion, for that beautiful piece of music from our joint choir at Riverside and Middle Church. Friends, uh, I know you don't necessarily think a Juneteenth sermon is going to be a stewardship sermon, but it is one because it is that time, time in June, to think about what we're going to do, what we're going to be, and how we're going to do it, and where we're going to do it. And I'm convinced that just like I make a donation to the EJI and to the uh, United Negro College Fund, your donations to Middle Church Repair the World, Takun Alam. So I'm inviting you to partner with us. I'm inviting you to engage with us. I'm inviting you to come to the congregational meeting next Sunday morning and be with us to imagine what tomorrow looks like. The most important job I have is to defeat racism, to make a world better for Octavius and Ophelia. Will you join me in that work? May God bless you and keep you. Make her face to shine upon you. Be absolutely gracious unto you and give you peace and give us peace and healing. Amen.